2 Corinthians chapter 11, we are looking at verses 7 through 15 and verse 20 also. 2 Corinthians 11, 7 through 15 and 20. If you would please follow in the reading of the Word of God. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need in everything. I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. But what I am doing, I will continue to do, so that I may cut off opportunity for those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the manner about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose ends will be according to their deeds. In verse 20, For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, if anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. Father, we come today to look at your word and to understand the difference between a true apostle and a false apostle. Father, help us to see. Help us to not be afraid to confront those who are deceivers. And Father, let us do it with the passion and the love, understanding that some are deceived and some are deceivers. Father, help us to understand that this war rages. Whether we like it or not, there is a spiritual battle going on, and it has been from the time the serpent said, has God said. Father, may we be girded for truth. May we be ready. And Father, may we have the boldness and the confidence knowing that we are heirs of the King and children of the Most High God. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. What we're looking at in chapter 10, 11, and half through, halfway through 12 is basically spiritual warfare. I, there is a lot of propaganda about spiritual warfare today, and most of it is a lie. Uh, spiritual warfare can basically be summarized as truth versus a lie. And it's been that way since the snake said, has God said. And it continues to go on today. So when you think about spiritual warfare, you're thinking about ideologies and speculations. Paul told Timothy, don't fall into myths and fables. And yet, how many have stumbled into myths and fables? And one of the things that we have the Word of God for is to protect ourselves from the seducers, from the people who have the myths and fables, or what ifs. I always like those, what ifs. And, you know, I remember a guy one time came to me and he said, well, what if Israel would have accepted Jesus as Messiah and he would have set up the millennial kingdom? And I said, then he would have made God a liar. And the guy about fell out of his chair because God told us what was going to happen and we just, whatever. Okay, so that's the matter that I want us to think about. When you think about spiritual warfare, it's not little demons running around, you know, with pitchforks and horns and all this other stuff. That, that's not, it's not what it is. It is deception. Now, I can tell you that the lies come from the pit of hell. I can tell you that. Okay, whether it is a false religion, whether it is no religion, Whatever you want, or if it is a form of Christianity. All right, because I, I see a lot of that today where people will say, well, I'm in church, but if you listen to what is being taught. I remember going to a church in Phoenix. I think it was in Phoenix. And this church was noted for baptizing 20,000 people a year. And, and it had a, a place for the big stars in their limousines to be dropped off and escorted into the auditorium. So I should have known something was up. But I was in there on the Father's Day weekend, and I was 
you know, I wanted to, what is this guy preaching that he's baptizing 20,000 people a year? And so I go in and the special music was Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon. Okay, that was special music for Father's Day. And you're like, well, that's, ain't that Harry Chafin? So anyway, and I thought, well, you know, that's, that's unique. Uh, Alice Cooper attends this church. So, you know, well, I guess that's better than dead babies, eh? Uh, so anyway, uh, so I, I listened to this and I was like, all right. So the guy gets up and preaches. He holds a Bible in his hand, the whole message. And you know what he preached on? Cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. He preached on that song with a Bible in his hand. And I thought, you're telling me there's not a text in the Bible somewhere dealing with fathers? Perhaps. And everybody was just all moved and it was powerful and this, that and the other. And I thought, I didn't get it. All right. One of the things that I have learned and I've been teaching on in the last couple of weeks, and this text defends it. The Apostle Paul was being accused by false apostles. And so what he does now in this text is he compares his ministry to their ministry. Now, he doesn't name names, but the, at the reading of this letter, everybody in the Corinthian church is going to be doing, he's talking about Mikey over there. Okay? Because everybody knows who he's talking about. And one of the things that I have learned is, is that the father of lies, it is so simple for him to seduce those who are gullible. There are people who will walk into a church and say, I'm in a church, the dude's got a suit on, so whatever he's saying has to be true. And that's not true. That's not true. Why does Paul warn Timothy that there will come a time when men will not hear sound words and will heap to themselves teachers that will tickle their ears? Now, if we're not in that right now, Heaven forbid what it's going to look like. So to keep these gullible people, we should be able to evaluate whether a person is a true representative of God, a true servant. And if you look at your outline, you'll see three marks of a true and three marks of a false. A true will be humble. A true will be immersed in the truth. And a true will be immersed in God's love and showing God's love. If you go and you look at a false, they will be immersed in pride. They will be deceptive and they will be abusive to people. They will use people. All right. That's the contrast. Humility, truth and love versus pride, deception and abuse. Okay. And it will be manifest. Okay. What I mean by manifest is you will see it. All right. Now, you may be gullible and, and say, well, is, is it really that big a deal? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Listen, a, a, a deceiver does not come up and say, hey, I would like to share with you a lie. I know you didn't believe that, but they're not going to do it that way. All right. What they're going to do is lay truth and they'll lay the deception right alongside it. And if you're not paying attention, what do you do? I mean, why, if you see a picture of an angel, does it look feminine? Have you ever read the Bible interpretations of angels? They are men. Okay? They're not effeminate men. They are men. Why is it we always look at it and it's, it's a girl? Right? And nobody says anything. How many wise men were there? I don't know. I have no idea. It doesn't tell me. I know it really upset Herod, however many there was. Alright, so, but we get, and you say, well, that's not really that big a deal. Has God said? You can't eat of that fruit or touch it? Had God said that? See, we, 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 we are dealing with someone here who's a little bit more clever than we are. 
When I think about humility, that probably hits me at the biggest place. I have had the privilege to be with some of the greatest preachers of this generation. And one of the things that I have noticed about every one of them, they are some of the most humble men that I have ever met. Selfless and sacrificial. And I've never seen anything like it. And it, it was across, I mean, whether it was, you know, Dr. Olford, you know, Charles Stanley, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, David Jeremiah. You sit and talk to these people and they will not say anything of themselves. They want to know about you. And, and it just it was Adrian Rogers. You know what is amazing about Adrian Rogers? Do you guys everybody know who Adrian Rogers is? He had the voice that sounded like heaven. OK, he was only about that tall. That's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. I was like, how in the world does that sound come out of that? Because you'd expect him to be, you know, are you a middle linebacker? But you hear that voice and you sit there and go, how? In that little box. But yet all of them were more concerned about the people that they were talking to than they were of themselves or anything that they were doing. Until it comes time to speak forth the truth of God. And then you sit there and you go, Wow, that's kind of cool. Even uh, the little beggar, uh, Alistair Begg. Uh, Alistair in Scottish means little. And he says, I guess that means I'm a little beggar. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Humility is sacrificial selflessness. The truth is top to bottom. That's immersed. I know people who have truth in their head. I know people who have can speak truth. But it is not in them. All right. It is a job that they do to speak what they have studied or looked at. But it does not immerse them. It does not become the dominating factor. I always call it your spiritual GPS is the word of God. Okay. It's not a teacher. It's not a denomination. It's not a a local fellowship. It should be the word of God. But they also have love. They give that love. And you know what? These are noticeable. And they are marks of a true servant of God. A true preacher of God. A true teacher of God. And if you contrast that, that would be the Apostle Paul. Do you have the false? Okay? And they were mad at the Apostle Paul because Paul was doing all this work in Corinth and he wasn't taking any money from it. In chapter 9, he says, we have a right. To take money for it. And it is there. But he says, I choose not to exercise that. Why? He had three basic reasons. The gospel didn't have a price to it. Second, he did not want to be a burden to a new congregation. And thirdly, he wanted to be different than the norm. The norm is, uh, for lack of a better term, the mercenaries of the gospel. Okay, it's like, uh, if you go back to the Old Testament, Balaam, he was hired. Whatever you want me to teach, what's in it? How much are you going to pay me? I remember that they wanted him to teach false doctrine to the Jews. And he says, I can't do that. Why? Because I believe in the real God. Well, what are you going to do? Well, I'll seduce him into immorality. How's that? And that's what he got paid for. He was... A hireling. And you know what? I see it today. We may call them philosophers. They may have a philosophy that will assist us, will comfort us. They, they may go by motivational speakers. Sometimes they're just religious teachers and they just want to travel about and, and make money. All right. You see it in our culture. Popular public speakers. Why is it when a politician gets done with politics, he becomes a professional speaker and he runs around and charges silly amounts of money? Uh, I call it the, the FF syndrome, fame and a fee. All right, because that's what they're doing. It. Let me have, be famous and let me get paid to be famous. All right. But Paul had not exercised his right with the local churches that he had established. He humbled himself to a very common level. One of the things that I, I am impressed about the Apostle Paul, one of the things that I am very thankful for as a, as 
as my life is that Paul was a craftsman. He worked with leather. And that's what he could maintain housing and food. And evidently at some times he could take care of his complete entourage. God has given me a couple of, uh, of, of crafts that I can do. And it supplements my income. The thing also that I have noticed is that those, there are those guys out there that when I grew up, we called them, they had soft hands. All right. That means they didn't work with their hands. All right. There were other guys out there who had very calloused hands and that they worked with their hands. They were outside. They, they would cut their hands and, and bang their hands and all kind of weird stuff with their hands. All right. And one of the things that I have watched in our culture is we're moving away from the trades and we're moving into soft hands. All right. Which is really going to be good until the lights go out. Then what do you do? All right. Somebody's got to fix it. You know, my brother uh, is a an iron pipe fitter. And I didn't realize there's only about a half a dozen of them in the state of Colorado. And, you know, anything that puts a sprinkler in, guess what? It's got to be iron pipe. And you've got to thread it. And there's just not that many people doing it. And I thought, there's a reason. Who wants to? But anyway, <laughs> you know, I've done enough iron pipe to say, who, who thought this up? I, I, I want us to think about it because the Apostle Paul subsidized himself with his trade. Okay, there were times that established churches would take up offerings for the Apostle Paul. Now, also remember, the Apostle Paul had started with the Corinthians and he says, I want to take up this offering for the suffering saints in Jerusalem. And Corinth had given to that. And it was a sizable amount of money, evidently. So, but he wasn't taking the money. Not only that, he had surrounded himself with people so that he would be accountable, so that they would understand when he got that offering, he wasn't keeping it and he was taking it to Jerusalem. But this false would say, he's not a professional speaker. He's not really much to look at. And he's kind of hard to listen to. His weakness as a speaker, his appearance, and the fact that the guy don't take any money. And that was fine with the Apostle Paul. Chapter 11, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. Far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten numbers of time without number, often in danger of death. Right now, a false teacher doesn't sign up for that mission. They're not there to suffer. They're not there to be turmoil in turmoil and trials and tribulations. But Paul was glad to humble himself, even to the point of suffering. And you go through that five times I received from the Jews, 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked a day and a night I spent in the deep. And he goes on and on and on and on. And he says, this is what my ministry looks like. This is what my credentials look like. No, I'm not much fun to look at. Being stoned and left for dead and there's no plastic surgery, he probably did look a bit banged up. All right. And he had no, no eloquent speech that all the Greeks thought was awesome. Awesome. And if you look at our culture today, isn't that what we base a lot on? When that person gives a speech, I don't care what you say, what are you doing? That's the difference. But if he says it really good and he sounds like he means it, that must be great. Same thing's happening in the church. Same thing's always been happening in the church. Okay, so the thing that I want you to think about. The false can be discerned. Okay, you do not have to be a deep theologian. I remember a kid one time stood up and asked a question at a conference and he says, is a trichotomous dispensationalist prone to Gnosticism? Really? And that accomplishes what? And the answer was funny. No. <laughs> what? Okay, but then you look around, there's a bunch of people saying, I don't even know what he asked him. Okay, and it is, I'll let you guys go look it up. 
Because I had to, you guys do. And you know, you learned that when your mom told you, go look it up in a dictionary. Why? Because you'll remember it then. Well, just tell me. All right? Because that's just because your parents didn't know. Okay? I've done it. <laughs> go look it up in the dictionary. Or, I guess we don't use dictionaries anymore, do we? Google it. Because <laughs> we know the internet's inerrant. So, there. All right. But you can define a false. And you know what? I believe that if you're honest, they're easy to see, even in a crowd. If you're honest. Okay, but we don't want to cause a scene. We don't want to cause a conflict. All right? Which is great. Because if you don't, who will? Who will? Let's look at this because you can mark the false by their pride, the deception, and their abuse. And we're looking at verse 12 today. What I am doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the manner about which they are boasting. Okay? What in the world did he just say? Well, Paul was being pressured indirectly to take money. Because if he took money, then that means his message is of value. If he took money, that means he really must love them. All right? If he would take money then the false don't feel embarrassed about taking money. Because the issue in this text, remember what verse 7 says, Have I committed a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preach the gospel of God to you without charge. See, that's the issue. And they're boasting that they are preaching the gospel of God also, But theirs is better because they're charging. And if Paul is really good, he would charge. And I, you get that. I get people who want to come and speak at the church and tell me how much and what I have to do. And I have to fly them in and put them in a room and give them three meals a day and do this and do this and do this. And, And I'm not interested. I'm not interested. You know... I've had the opportunity to to teach and preach out of this country. And every time I go, I pay for it. Okay, or we pay for it. Why? I don't want to be a burden to these people. I go and we take care of it. Why? I don't want to be a burden to these people. All right? What we're doing is strengthening the saints for the work of ministry. And why would I sit and say, you know, I did have a lady one time gave me a bag of eggs, which is very humbling. And, and, and you sit there and you go, wow, that's, that's awesome. But you don't want to be a burden to these people. Why? You're investing in eternity here. I understand how it works. For these false who were in Corinth, it didn't look good that what Paul didn't take money. And if you read this verse 12, what I am doing, I will continue to do. I'm still not going to take no money from you. I'm going to take your offering for the church in Jerusalem. But I'm not taking any money. Even when I had need when I was with you, other churches met my need. Why? Why is he doing that? Why is he such a stickler about that? Well, look what he says. That I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in this manner. See, the false were wanting to be elevated to the same level as the Apostle Paul. But they were in it for the, the money. And so they want Paul to take money. And then they will say, see, I'm equal to the Apostle Paul. And it's one of those that you can say, well, 
Paul took money. Why shouldn't we get money? All right. They couldn't say that. He wasn't taking the money. We are not the same as these people, Paul is saying, because we do it for the glory of God, not for the money. All right. We know these are proud, arrogant, self-seeking and greedy. We know that because in chapter 10, verse 12, he kind of slams them with this. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. You know what that is? That's pride. Look how good I am. And I'm getting better every day. I had a guy come up to me one time and says, I am proud of my humility. And you sit there and you go, well, okay. <laughs> I'm proud of your humility too. All right, but you see this all the time. Why? Look, I'm commending myself to myself. You're like, what? I, I don't I don't understand that. I mean <laughs> every time you share, you teach, or you preach, it is a challenge. Alright, I you may not believe it, but it is a challenge. And you are, for lack of a better way to describe it, competing with yourself. Alright? You know, I preached this last week, I preached this on Christmas Eve, and now it's Sunday. Okay? But I don't compare myself to myself. I hope that I'm getting better. I had a, a couple of people tell me last week, best message I ever preached. And I thought, after 20, and a, 20 years, finally. <laughs> okay? <laughs> practice, practice, practice. You'll get it. Alright? And, and, and I think about that, and I've seen the people who are arrogant who are self-seeking. And they do compare themselves with themselves, and they think that themselves is the standard. Uh, I remember when I first became the senior pastor, uh, I, I read a lot of, of different people. John Knox, Robert Murray McShane, Spurgeon, the eloquence of which they preached is, you know, even John Calvin. Uh, I have listened to a lot of great preachers. Eric Alexander just stands out. He's astonishing and and you can't help but all of a sudden try to compare yourself well i don't have a scottish accent all right so i'm i'm not going to fit the eric alexander thing i can't do robert murray mcshane or john knox because they were all scottish so you and i ain't german so i'm not going to work with calvin and I, I ain't as heady as some of the other guys so you start and then all of a sudden you start getting into this conflict and you realize you don't compare yourself with other people what does God given you? What has he laid on his, your heart? And do you pour it out in simplicity? I know that you think there's a lot more to it, but you have to do that. And if you don't do it under the power of the Holy Spirit, you're a clanging gong. You're just noisy. You're, you're, you're a college professor. And not, your whole congregation is going to be saying, but what will be on the final exam? And how can I pass? And that becomes the conclusion. And that is definitely not what we're here for. In chapter 10, 13 and 14. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere, God has apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. Whatever God's wanting me to do, that's what I want to do. <laughs> Verse 14, for we not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. We were first to come to you even as far as the gospel of Christ. See, Paul wasn't going to push it. They got chapter 11, verse 5. He says, I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. Why? They were going around calling themselves super apostles. That word eminent literally means a super apostle. Look at me, I'm a super apostle. All right? And um, chapter 12, verse 11. I have become foolish. You yourselves compel me. Actually, you know... You should have been commended by you for in no respect am I inferior to the most super apostle, eminent apostle. 
Why? That's what they were saying. That's that pride thing. And Paul says, I don't even want to be compared. I'm not less than these super apostles. And so Paul is basically in a sarcastic way confronting their pride. And he confronts their pride in verse, this chapter 11, verse 12. He says, I will continue to do it the way I've been doing it. I'm not going to take money for it. Okay, just super apostles take money for it. And they want to be on the same level as me. And they think that I should take money for it. See, the false are in it as a vocation. Can I make a living doing this? I hear people in our community who are quote unquote planting churches. And they say, we have done a demographic study. And there's enough people and enough money in Castle Rock to support us. But I'm not here for the money. Then why are you worried about the support? If you're doing what God wants you to do, will he take care of you? Paul says, I ain't changing. This is the way I've always done it. How among those who believe, those who would have been in the Corinthian church, remember chapter 7, the restoration of the relationship had come back. And he said, you who believe that I am a real apostle, a real sent forth messenger from God, must be equal to me. How if you're equal to me, Paul is telling the Corinthians, if I don't take money, why are they taking money? All right? See, if he took the money, We'd be just like him. Because, you know, we're super, the most eminent. But the word literally means super. They were in it for the money. They wanted to be equal to the Apostle Paul. But Paul wasn't taking any money. And that uh, kind of puts him in a little bit of an embarrassing place. Especially when you think about this letter arriving at the church in Corinth and somebody getting up and reading it to everybody there. Paul's preaching of truth with God changing the people's heart. That was the power of God through what Paul was doing. And he was charging nothing. Here they are wanting the money. Okay. Do nothing. He says, I'm going to do nothing to give them equality to what I'm doing. I'm going to do nothing to remove the evidence that showed the inequality that contrasted him from them. Now, listen, I read this and it dawns on me. The false have an option here. OK. It's a simple option. They want to be equal to the Apostle Paul. All right. Then they should minister for nothing. Okay, I mean, that's all you have to do. I could be I have all the wisdom that Paul's got and I'll give it for nothing like the Apostle Paul. Okay, but let me tell you something. Pride ain't gonna let them do that. They'll go somewhere else before they'll do it for nothing. But that wasn't an option for them. Why? Brothers and sisters. The false are always in it for the money. Always. That's when you can do a demographic study of your community and say, they can afford another church. Really? When the Apostle Paul was going to go to Rome, he wanted to go to Rome, remember? To start the Second Baptist Church of Rome? No, he wanted to plug into the church that existed and bear fruit with them. What keeps, quote-unquote, church planners today from doing that? It's pride, people. It's pride. We know how to do it right. They don't do it right. So we'll start another church. Listen, I'm going to just give you some 
verses and chapters that you can look at on your own, and I'll give you some ideas. Because when I think about pride in false teachers, um, false disciples, uh, false apostles, whatever whatever title they're using, there's a consistency that goes through them, and it goes back thousands of years. Okay, you see it in Scripture in a number of ways, and I'll give you four. One. You can look this up on your own. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 31. A false teacher, Jeremiah speaking of. You will find out that they are authoritarian. Okay? They are dominating. I guess overbearing. uh, Whatever you want to call it. They are those who are always right. And if you do not agree with them, you become their targets. Okay? They're always right. They don't want to be questioned. Okay? That's how you can... One of the things of a prideful person is authoritarianism. They don't want to be questioned. They have the final word. They are right. They have to always be right because everyone knows God sent me. So how could I be wrong? And if you question me, then... You're questioning God's servant. What's the matter with you? That is very typical. This is a manifestation of pride. All right? A true servant is always humbling self under the word of God. To many people today, I taught, spoke of this in Sunday school. To many people today that I see in places of leadership are trying to master the scriptures. When it should be the scriptures mastering them. Okay, this morning I was I do not know how you read this book in a cursory way. I'm not talking about exegeting the syntax or any of that, the historical and I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about cursory reading. I just read it. How do you deal with your pride just reading this? There's no way I could. You can. How do you have pride reading this book? That is mind-boggling to me. And yet, I see some very puffed-up people who, I am a master of scriptures. Well, wait till it reaches up and bites you on the other side of your master. Secondly, and, and it's just basically Second Peter, that whole letter of Second Peter, the, the false, because of their arrogance, are, are presumptuous. Second Peter, the whole letter, they presume because they are self-willed, they trash the sacred things. Here's what I mean. The guy who preached cats in the cradle and the silver spoon was trashing the fact that he had the holy book in his hand. All right. My Bible is extraordinarily sacred. We used to print them Holy Bible. Now they're just Bibles. All right? But you think about what they do. They will wreak havoc on the truth of God. The sacred things of God. You will see them. I have seen churches that says, well, we don't want to even do the Lord's table anymore because, you know, they're just... It's too much symbolic there. Well, you know what? I hate to break the news to you. We were told to. But all of a sudden, you're going to take something that's sacred and say, no, we don't want to do that. I know a guy says, I quit baptizing because it made other people who were not baptized feel guilty. Really? Weren't we told we were supposed to do that? I bet that means you're not making disciples either, right? Uh, you know, and I, and I think about this over and over because those are the people who presume on what God has done. They become, and it, it's just basically self-willed. I want to do, I know a guy who took all the crosses out of his church because he felt like it offended unbelievers. Really? Listen, what I'm describing to you people are churches in this town. All right? And, and I, I share that because you scratch your head. Well, what is it you guys do there? Is it a community center? 
What, what do you do there? Do you have an indoor pool? I don't know what you do there. Thirdly, Isaiah 29, verse 16. People of pride are idolatrous. Okay, What I mean by that, they want to be worshipped. They want the fame and the glory. They want people to bow to their oratory skills. Uh, it's it's the proverbial, I want my name in lights. I remember doing a conference down in Albuquerque and a guy got mad because my name was before his uh, on the list of teachers. And the, <laughs> it was just alphabetical. I, I mean, you know, B became, came before M. You know, so, but I, he, he was, he, I, he went to the guy that I knew who was heading the conference up and he says, Hey, how's come he's before me? And I thought, dude, just take a marker and mark my name off of it. I, gee whiz, get real. All right. It's, was it last year? I don't remember exact date. We had a number of suicides in the, the, the schools here in, uh, Douglas County, actually. So all the churches decided that we were going to do a prayer thing out in front of schools and pick a school. So we have some people in our congregation at that time were attending and working at Douglas County. So I go up to Douglas County. It was funny because three or four other pastors show up at Douglas County with me. And, you know, some of the kids were coming out uh, to, to pray at the flagpole. The kids were doing it. And there was a couple of kids there playing guitars and doing some stuff like that. And then I look, and there it shows up. Dun, 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 the local news van. Okay? And then it's like, you know, they put the little boom thing up in there, and the guy gets out with the camera, and he's moving around. And all the pastors move away from the kids over to the camera to do their interviews. They're still praying. Now, me, I don't want my name. I don't want nobody to see me because it could come back to haunt me. So I stay with the kids and pray, but I watch all these guys go over to the cameras. Why? It's idolatrous. It's idolatrous. They want to be in lights. They want to be in front of the camera. And that is manifesting pride. That shows pride. Hey, look at me. So... The false, you can say, are authoritarian, they're presumptuous, they're idolatrous. And then the fourth thing I want you to know about, because that's what this text is dealing with, is that they are greedy. They are greedy. They are doing it for the money. They want to get wealthy, and they want to get it from the congregation to make them wealthy. We've got four pastors, I think four pastors in Castle Rock right now, that are making six figure. See, now I was told years ago that what you do is you suffer here in Colorado for a while, then you go to Texas, that's where the big bucks are. And and, and I remember a guy who was very, did a lot of work with some of the churches in, in Texas, and he says you were successful in Texas if you had a Cadillac. But now they've changed it that you're successful in Texas if you have a Bentley. I, I, don't, I don't understand what that is. Do, do you guys, any of you guys remember uh, Criswell? Out of Dallas, First Baptist of Dallas. Criswell was probably the most published Southern Baptist preacher maybe ever. And he made a lot of money being published. Okay, He was preparing to retire. He had been at First Dallas Baptist for about 45 years. And he decided it was time to move on, to, to retire. And there started being... And this is a massive church in Dallas. Okay, the, the, They... Uh, was murmurings in the congregation that he got all of his riches and now he's going to leave. Okay, and they, you know, he did it for the money. You know what he did in his last service there? He made an offering to the church that he gave to the church for all 45 years of his payroll. He gave it back to the church. So there is no opportunity for anybody to say he did it for the money. That's how you shut people up, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, you think I'm in it for the money. <laughs> the greed of the false. 
Because they want to get wealthy. And they want to do it off of the people. Paul was wanting the Corinthians and all that they are to understand what they were doing and why they were doing it. And Paul says, I want you to understand that I don't want your money. I don't want a nickel from it. And you know what? The false guys are going to be tremendously embarrassed. Paul's long-standing purpose, long-standing goal in his ministry is that he didn't do anything that would resemble the mercenaries or the false teachers. So he didn't take money from new church plants. And he says here in that verse 12, I will continue to do it that way. Why? I'm removing the opportunity for them to accuse me. Boasting of this money, that was the matter that they wanted to be like Paul. We speak better. We look better. We dress better. Therefore, we should get paid better. Well, Paul didn't get nothing. And it's obvious God done something because there's a church there. See, Paul removed anything that says we are equal in ministry. Why? If we are equal in ministry, if you're doing it way the Apostle Paul does it, then you'll do it for free. Why? That was his policy. Paul planned and purposed to be financially independent of these people. You know, I know a guy right now has put his church, they pay $5,000 a week in interest. All right? So, do you believe that he can teach on the role of a woman? Huh? What parts of Scripture do you all of a sudden have to say, I better not touch that because if I lose people, how do I pay my interest note? Okay? See what happens? All of a sudden you're like, well, what if I offend somebody? You know what? I hate to break the news to you. This book will offend you. I get offended every week reading it. I mean, it steps... You know, people say, well, Terry, you stepped on my toes. You should have been with me. Gee whiz, I had a steamroller run over my feet. All right, so that's the thing that I want you to understand. When you start looking at the holiness of God, all of a sudden you'll start seeing the fallenness of man, and it's just sort of uncomfortable. But I watch people who will get themselves into a financial pickle, and all of a sudden, parts of the Bible... You can't touch on. I know a guy right now who was going to help us with the pregnancy center. And he took it back to his people. And they said, and, and all we're doing is taking up offerings to support alternative pregnancies. You know, how can you get adoptions? Uh, what does the government offer you? Just stuff like that. Anything but an abortion. We'll show you what is available. And he took it to his church and his church said, no, it's too political. What? That's not political. But I see it all the time. There's things all of a sudden, I can't teach on that. Why? Well, we're $30 million in debt. I've got to make sure I've got people in the pews. And nobody uses pews anymore. Seats. Okay? Why? Because if I run these people off, if I offend these people, you know, I, it is mind-numbing, to be honest with you. Paul says, I've removed the opportunity. Why? Because I'm going to make it that I'm independent of you. I don't depend on you to put food on my table. I'll take care of that myself. But you know what? I'm going to teach you the full counsel of God. Why? I do not want the blood of innocent men on my hands. So I'm going to teach it all. The full counsel. See, contrast that to those who are financially dependent. I can't imagine making six figure as a pastor. What in the world would you do with it? I don't know what you'd do with it. I, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm doing good. I, but I, that's, it don't make sense to me because now all of a sudden you've got that thing hanging over your head and here is my lifestyle. 
Okay, and I've got this lifestyle. It's really a nice lifestyle. And if I teach on the role of a woman, I'm going to have a different lifestyle. Okay, just read it to a group of women. Women, submit to your own husband. Just read it. Don't even explain it. They'll throw things at you. You don't understand my husband. You don't understand my God. See, I can get away with that. Wearing bulletproof vest. (laughs) All right. Teach on giving. I spent, what, a month and a half, two months on giving. And everybody says, well, how do you do that? What's what the text said? Why? The Apostle Paul wrote this letter so that the church would rethink their attitudes towards him and rethink their attitudes that these people wanted this full support of their lifestyle. Okay? How many guys can get into the ministry and say, well, here's my lifestyle, but because of my financial position, I'm going to change my lifestyle. Okay? Hey, I had a really nice 16-foot flat-bottom fishing boat. Live well, 115-horse Evinrude motor on it. Depth gauges, the whole nine yards. Loved that boat, and they needed help in Russia, and I sold it and sent them the money. Dumbest thing I ever did. No. <laughs> no, just kidding. All right? But why? Well, I don't know. They needed more help. Then my boat did. Water. Listen. The Apostle Paul, if you look at verse 9. I did not want to be a burden to anyone. Okay? People who are in it for the money. Who are they burdening? The people. The congregation. He says, I don't want to be a burden to anybody. Alright? No way they were equal. He didn't want to be a burden to the church. They didn't care if they were a burden. See, they were proud. And it seemed because of their greed. Listen, it's like I said, they had an an option. Do it for nothing. Then you'd be like Paul. They were speakers of truth. They would be in it for just the honor of God. Okay? They wanted to be equal to Paul. And say no to the money. You know what? I get nervous when a guy says, I'll do it for just a love offering. I don't mind taking up love offerings. I don't like it when someone says, take up a love offering. Because you're telling me you're wanting to do it for money. The people that I've had come and speak here, and when we were doing Bible conferences and all the rest of it, when they came, they didn't ask for nothing. All right, And we took up love offerings. And I don't see anything wrong with that. But if you tell me I need a love offering, hmm, as long as it's not more than $50. What? Listen, pride promotes money. And an unwillingness to walk the walk. So they were trying to make Paul change. Do you see that? It's real simple. If we can get Paul to take money, then we don't look like crooks. Because the Apostle Paul did it. And it's obvious the Apostle Paul was called of God because look, there was no church. Now there's a church. See, the pride of false is seen. So just remember this. When you think about pride, and you got to... I remember uh, a football coach, Woody Hayes, Woodrow Hayes. Uh, What a piece of work. I remember him getting mad at a ball player because he ran into the end zone and he spiked the ball. Hayes went down grabbed that ball and grabbed him by the face mask. That was his handlebar. And he grabbed him by that and he was doing this. And somebody asked him, a reporter asked him what he was doing. He says, I want that kid to act like it's so so common to him to be in the end zone. He doesn't have to celebrate nothing. And I look at what you see today and it's silly. I mean, a guy gets up and celebrates a defensive end, celebrates a sack, and he dances and jiggy-boos all over the place. 
And I'm sitting there going, dude, you're being paid to do that. That's your job. Why? It's pride. Let me show off. And you know what? Brothers and sisters, I got news for you. Pulpit is not immune. Pulpit is not immune. I remember a guy that I was down in, uh, what's the name of that place in New Mexico? Yeah, Glorietta. I was down there. Big conference. Some big speakers. And I'd taken it. It's the first time my wife met John MacArthur. He was sitting outside. And I went down and we were talking. And it, and it just, you know, just, he's, he's a humble man. He just sits there and, yes, he wants to know what you're doing. Where's your ministry? Where's your church? And all the rest of it. And then <clears throat> one of the guys that's the big grand poobah in our convention, he was there. So I was going to go ask him a question. And he blew me off like, you know, who are you, kid? And... I ain't got time for you. And I thought, well, that's kind of rude. And so he gets up <laughs> to preach. And I thought, you know, that's just arrogance. I mean, you know, if a pastor's wanting to talk to you, you know, it's not like I'm published or anything. Anyway, so he gets up to preach and he's standing behind the pulpit. He walks out from behind the pulpit and his shirt tail is sticking out of a zipper. And I have no idea what he taught on. I don't even know what he spoke of. But I thought, you know what? Pride goes before the fall. And if you've got that much pride, God's going to embarrass you. I don't care who you are. I don't care how well you're known among your denomination. I don't care if you've got TV and radio. If you've got pride, some point, God's going to say, surprise. When I think about the pride of the false, I think that they are authoritarian. And you never question them. Nothing is sacred to them. They are idolatrous because they are into self-worship. And they have greed for money. So we can assess the true and the false. The true will be just the opposite of that. They're not idolatrous. They are humble. They just as soon stay out of sight. They may even be introverts. And yet God continues to use them. And they are self-sacrificing and it's never ever about them. So when I look at a person who professes to speak for Christ or a person who claims to be a servant of Christ, it's so easy to say, are they humble or are they boastful? A life of sacrifice that they give away the truth. That is the heart of service. Or are they building their empires here on earth. Listen, brothers and sisters, it's easy to see. It's easy to see. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have immersed us with true servants, true teachers of the word who are indwelt by Christ and the word of Christ. Father, I, I pray that we even as small as we are, we never take that for granted and we rejoice at the amazing things you have done. Father, help us. In this day and age, when men do not want to hear sound words, that we will hold firm to your truth. And that, Father, we will not look for heaping of teachers, that we will be diligent to look for those who are humble, who are overwhelmed by truth. And Father... Your love and Kate overcomes them in such a way that we see nothing but Christ. Thank you, my King, my Lord. In Christ's name, amen.